The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at the shield of faith. The shield of faith is extremely important in the Christian spiritual armor. We're told that the devil will attack us with fiery darts. These are attacks lobbed at us from a distance that even the breastplate of righteousness and the boots of the gospel and the girdle of truth won't necessarily deflect. So we need something to deflect these attacks, and that's the shield of faith. Join us today as we continue looking at this particular item of spiritual armor that is so essential in our daily fight against the devil. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Here in the
And so the whole book of Habakkuk is basically a conversation between Habakkuk and God. It's kind of a unique little prophecy book. He couldn't understand why God wasn't doing something. Okay? And if you go back here in chapter 2 and just uh, begin there in verse 1, you just see a little bit of the context. And this is Habakkuk talking, I will stand upon my watch. And set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, listen, though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now what's God saying here? He's saying, I know things don't look good around you. I know that the world around you seems to be wicked and wickedness completely and nothing in there that cares about God. But he says, you trust me because the vision that I've prophesied, I've given to my prophets is coming. And that's what happened later on. Ultimately, about 20, 30 years later, the Babylonians came and they brought judgment upon Israel, upon Judah. And here's what he's saying to Habakkuk. He's saying, trust me and live like you trust me because the just shall live by his faith. Those that are lifted up in pride, they're not going to profit. Their souls are not upright in them. But you, if you're, a, if you're one of my children, if you would be just... Live like it. You know, that time frame kind of sounds like our time frame, doesn't it? That time period there kind of reminds me of what I see in the world around me today. We're having things all the time assault us in the world. We watch the news. I about quit watching it because it just makes me mad. It upsets me. But, you know, that's what was happening to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was getting upset. He was seeing all this stuff. You know, Habakkuk didn't have a CNN or a Fox News. <laughs> but he could see it. It was going on around him. You know, for us, that's what we watch. We see all these news shows that are assaulting us with all the wickedness. And even the news itself is promoting the wickedness in many cases. We're just like Habakkuk. But you know what God said to Habakkuk? He said, be patient. I've got this. And you live like you trust me. You act like it, you see. That's the first time we read that phrase, the just shall live by his faith. The next time we read it is over in Romans chapter 1. Over in Romans chapter 1 is given to us in the context of preaching the gospel. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse, let's just begin reading verse 15. Paul says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let me just stop you right there and say this. The world would like to make you ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The world would like to make you ashamed of taking a stand on the truth. The world would like to make you ashamed of the word of God. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed. And we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be lifted up in pride. Certainly, I'm not, it's, not, it's not what he's talking about, but he's just saying don't be ashamed of what you believe if it's based upon what the Bible says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me just 
quickly dispose of the argument that you've got to hear the gospel and believe it in order to be saved eternally. This is not talking about eternal salvation. This is only salvation to those that believe it. This is a timely gospel salvation like we read about in the 10th chapter over there. There were many children of God who didn't believe the gospel that were going about to establish their own righteousness, but they had a zeal of God. They were trying to work their way to heaven. And yet they were children of God. And they needed to deliver themselves from that, that crooked generation, that, that perverted teaching that you had to work your way to heaven by trusting the gospel. Because here's what the gospel does. What does the gospel do? It doesn't deliver you for eternity. But what it does is, verse 17, therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Okay? In the gospel message, what does it do? It doesn't take one from no faith to faith, but it takes one who's already gotten faith and planted in the new birth from that faith to more faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Now that's a whole topic that would take all morning to talk about. But that's what the gospel is all about anyway, isn't it? The righteousness of God. See, that's a scary thought. Somebody says, I just want what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. If I got what I deserved, I would have been a stillborn baby cast into hell immediately. <laughs> Because that's all I, 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 I'm such a sinner. All the things I've done in my life, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be in hell yesterday. But you see, the righteousness of God says every sin must be paid for. But see, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed in that he put those sins on his son. The sins of every single one of his children are put on the Son of God. They were put on him. He became sin for us, and he put them away. The sins that were put on him were put away by his eternal sacrifice. Isn't that glorious? See, that's the gospel. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here we have the context of the preaching of the gospel. And the understanding that God's ultimate judgment of all sin was in Christ for his elect children and will be brought down upon all the wicked for eternity, you see. And we should live like we believe that. We should live like we trust that. Galatians chapter 3 is the other time, the next time we read this phrase. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. Galatians 3 and verse 11, he says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, the context of this, it, this statement, is that the Galatians were sliding back from their belief in grace to a belief in some kind of works-based salvation system. Remember what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, who before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, you've been taught grace. Why are you going back to works? Why are you going back to something uh, that, that won't save you in the first place? Verse 10 says, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you think that keeping the law will get you to heaven, if you think that's the only way, then you have no hope. Because you cannot keep every item of the law. Every iota of the law must be kept. Every, everything written in the book of the law must be kept in order for you to go to heaven by the law. And we can't do that. You can't do that. You've already broken the law today. <laughs> I guarantee you. I know I have. I've already broken the moral law of God today. I, maybe I haven't done something immoral, but I sure have thought it. When I woke up at 2.15 this morning and couldn't go back to sleep, I wasn't basking in the love and glow and glory of God. I was just frustrated as I could be. I finally lay back down at 6.15 and felt a little better, but it was, it was not a time of, well, I shouldn't say that. There was... I got over some of that, and I began to fellowship with the Lord and study, and that, that helped me. But, uh, but I didn't wake up immediately. I get frustrated in times like that, you see. Living by the law will not help you. We must live by faith, you see. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is the last time this phrase occurs in the Scripture. Verse 38. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now, we're going through the book of Hebrews on Sunday nights, as, you, as many of you know, and we'll get to this at some point, but one of the most important things to remember in rightly dividing the Word of God is that every word counts, every word matters. And if we'll understand that, we can understand the context and figure out whether something's talking about eternity or talking about here and now. And in verse 38, we get a pretty strong clue that we're talking about here and now by the very first word, now. <laughs> not one day in the future, not someday when you get to heaven, now the just shall live by faith. This is a timely Deliverance And the point of, a lot of the point of Hebrews, he was writing to those Jews over there that were being tempted to go back into Judaism. He keeps telling them, I think there are several, three or four or five warnings in there about not letting things slip and, and not sliding back. And, and he says, now, this is how you should live. Now, the just shall live by faith. You see, don't draw back. He says, don't be the kind that draws back. Because God's not pleased with that, but he is pleased by faith. In fact, if you go on and read in, verse, in chapter 11 and verse 6, you'll find that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must exercise our faith. So look, look at this. Let's sum up that that we just talked about. Just this phrase of the just shall live by faith. He's saying to us, keep the faith, child of God. When things around you look bad, like in Habakkuk's day, keep the faith. When things don't seem to make sense, like in Habakkuk's day, keep the faith. When things sound good, like the preaching of the gospel, live by faith, keep the faith. When others slide back, even when those around you are going back to a perverted form of the gospel, as they were in the case of the Galatians, keep the faith. When you are tempted to draw back, as the Hebrew Jews were, keep the faith. Basically, 
Live by faith in every situation of life and exercise that faith. Because you see, faith, this shield of faith, is the great strength of the Christian soldier. And we need this kind of strength in the face of our enemy. Because going back here to Ephesians, over here, and look at, look at verse 16 again. It says, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It didn't say of wickedness, it said of the wicked. That's a noun, that's a reference to the wicked one. That's a reference to our real enemy. See, we need a real shield because we've got a real enemy. The world will tell you that wickedness and evil is a concept. Beloved, the Bible teaches us that it's bound up in a person. It's the, the Satan is real. He is large and he is in a great sense in charge in this world. He's the prince of this world. I understand that he only goes as far as God suffers him to go. But I'm telling you, he has got a realm here that he can devour you in a timely sense. And he will defeat you in hand-to-hand -hand combat, beloved. He will defeat you. But you see, more often even, he lobs his assaults from a distance where you can't even see where he's shooting from. You know, that's the, the worst kind of attack that comes from out of nowhere. And I want to tell you, those kinds of attacks are deadly. The darts, the fiery darts of the devil are deadly. See, what would happen in those days is an enemy would often wrap the tip of the arrow in some kind of cloth or right behind the tip in a cloth and dip it in pitch and set it on fire before he, before he let it loose from the bow. And those kinds of arrows were more damaging and deadly than the regular arrows. You know, I remember in the old cowboy and Indian movies, you know, when the wagon train would be going across the prairie and they'd circle the wagons and the Indians would attack. That gave them some protection. But then, almost inevitably, some Indian would get, a, get some fire. And here they go. They start shooting the fiery arrows into those, uh, into those, stage, into those uh, wagons. And see, that's when things got really bad for, the, for those cowboys out there. And that's the way it is with us. And notice what these arrows do. Notice what these darts do. They pierce and they burn. Okay? They pierce and they burn. They don't quit doing damage after they hit you. Okay? After the initial injury, there's more damage. They continue to smolder and they continue to burn until they are removed, you see. And this, to me, at least in my life, it often seems to be the devil's weapon of choice. Let's just look at a few of them. I know our time is short. We'll try to finish this up here in just a minute. You know, one of the, you know, the first dart that the devil ever fired at man was the dart of doubt. The dart of doubt. Yea, hath God said. Turn over and read it sometime. Genesis chapter 3. He caused Eve to doubt God's word. Did God really say this? And in fact, he misquoted the scriptures. That's what they'll do to you today. The devil will do that to you. He'll misquote it. God said, you can eat of every tree in this garden except this one. The devil said God, that God said, you can't eat of every tree. Well, there's a little half truth there. There was one tree he couldn't eat of, but that's not what God said. That wasn't the point of his word to Adam. His word was to say, look at all the bounty I've given you. God said, look at what he's, I mean, the devil's saying, look at what he's denying you. He'll do that every time, child of God. He caused Eve to doubt his motives. He caused Eve to think, oh, God's keeping something from you that if you partake of it will make you as God. He caused Eve to question her beliefs. What she saw became more important than what she had been told, than what she had believed. She saw the tree that it was good for food, the fruit that was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. 
And she took of it, you see. That dart of doubt will get you every time unless you wield properly the shield of faith. And that means you need to know what the Word of God says. You need to be in it. Here's one that he gets me with often is the dart of discouragement. The dart of discouragement. You know, sometime turn over to the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians and read about Paul's issues. He talks about all the problems he had. We're, we're dying daily on your behalf. And then he comes down to the very end down there and he says, you know, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 16, verse 17, he says, Our light affliction, which he's just talked about, we bear in our body, we're cast down but not destroyed, bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord, all these troubles in my life, but he calls it a light affliction. How does he do that? He didn't do that by keeping his eyes on the afflictions. He said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen. We're not looking at these things which are seen because I've got something better than the things I see around me. I've got faith, which is the evidence of things not seen. I've got faith that tells me there's more to life than what I see around me. I'm looking at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I believe that's one of, my, one of the favorite tools of Satan in my life. If you focus on circumstances and people and things, you'll be discouraged. People will let you down. Circumstances will deflate your confidence. Things will fail you. Your emotions will get involved. You'll be stressed. Stress triggers weaknesses in your personality, your anger, your despair, your fear comes out. And, in, and you lose the joy and the peace and the love, you see. Satan wants you to take your eyes off Jesus and get your eyes on your circumstances. That dart of discouragement. The dart of deception. He was a murderer, we're told from the beginning, John 8 and verse 44. He abode not in the truth. He is a, his design is death and his method is deceit. He will deceive you. We're told he's a liar and the father of it. He'll make things look worse than they are. This works hand in hand with discouragement, that dart of discouragement. But also, child of God, he'll make things look better than they are. He won't tell you the end of a thing. He'll show you all the beauties. You know that Coors Light commercial from all those guys sitting around the campfire up in the mountains, up there in the Rocky Mountains. Man, everybody's sitting around. You just can't be cool like that if you don't drink Coors Light, you know. You just can't be cool like that if you're not engaged in, in that. You know, I understand the Bible doesn't teach total abstinence, but I'll tell you what it does teach. It teaches wisdom when it comes to any kind of substance like that, alcohol or otherwise. And the devil doesn't show you the end of the thing. The devil doesn't show you the one who is hooked on alcohol to the point of abusing and neglecting his family and dying in the gutter one day. He never shows you the end of a thing. He makes things look better than they are. He makes bad things look good and wrong things look right and good things look bad and dangerous things look safe. What about the dart of distraction? Remember Matthew chapter 13? <laughs> the thorny ground, that's where I stay too many times. The devil will send problems, he'll send people, he'll send stresses, personal problems, personal issues, work problems, money challenges, all kinds of circumstances to get your eyes off of Jesus. He wants your eyes looking around instead of looking up. Faith looks up, sight looks around, and the classic example of that is Peter walking on the water. As long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he could walk right on top of it. The world can only offer you two options. You can sink or swim. 
But if you'll keep your eyes on Christ, you can walk on top of the water. You can walk on top of the water. <laughs> so many other darts we don't have time to get to. Let's, let's kind of bring this to a close. Here's, here's what I want to tell you, child of God. The shield of faith. Now remember this. The shield of faith is sufficient for every single one of these darts. These darts have to be either deflected or extinguished, okay? And this kind of shield is the only protection. You know, in the time of the Romans, they often dipped their shields in water immediately before the battle because they knew there might be some fiery arrows coming at them. They soaked them in water so that they would have uh, more repellent ability, more extinguishing ability. Well, beloved, I want to say to you, we need to dip our shields in the blood of Christ every day. And only by doing that will we be able to extinguish those fiery darts because it says here with this shield of faith in verse 16, we, can, we will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked. There's not a single dart he can fire at you that cannot be extinguished by the shield of faith. But it only works if you use it. Okay? It only works if you use it. He says, take the shield of faith. It requires all, the rest of the armor. You kind of put it on and it stays with you. But you know the shield of faith, you can lay it down or you can pick it up or you can throw it away. You can drop it. But you can also keep a firm grip on it. You'll still have the breastplate of righteousness and the girdle of truth and the, the boots of the gospel, but you've got to hold on to that shield. You need to, you need to stand with it and you need to stand behind it. You can also you can also turn around and we're going to see before we're done that there's no protection for the back. If you turn around the wrong way, there's no protection back there. You can keep it on your back. <laughs> you can put it on your back the way they carried it some and never utilize it and you won't be protected. But see, if you stand behind it, it does no good to sling it over your back and mark it out unprotected. You can keep it in front of you and it'll work. And let me tell you something else. You need to stand with others. You remember, you remember this vision here of the Roman soldiers with their interlocking shields? See, if I'm out there by myself and I've got a shield and it's in front of me, that's some good protection. But people over, you know, the enemy over to my right, the enemy over to my left, they can get to me. But if I'm standing with my brothers and sisters in that front line and our shields are interlocked, we can stand stronger. You know, every time a man or a woman, especially a young person, ventured away from the home, they got in trouble in the Bible. Remember, remember Dinah, the daughter of Jacob? You remember the prodigal son? They got off by themselves. The next thing you know, they were like the wildebeest in the nature shows that get off to themselves. The lions took him down. The interlocking, the best protection is the group and not just any group. Remember what he says in Hebrews 10, 25, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. Beloved, there's a reason God gave us the church. There's a reason he gave us this assembly. He's a, there's a reason he gave us one another. We need to be together. We need to be here to where we can hear the word preached. We can be here, need to be here where we can fellowship with the saints and not with those out in the world. We need to be with our brothers and sisters who are also trying to wield the shield of faith in a way to protect one another. Last thing I'll tell you is this. Remember that the shield of faith is faith in Christ. Not faith in what we've done. Not faith in our church membership. Not faith in our faith. We don't believe in our believing or trust in our trusting. The real shield, the real deal is Christ himself.
He is the object of our faith. And our faith needs to be in Christ and His finished work. And when we take up the faith, the shield of faith, and we utilize it in the right way, then that will help establish us more than anything else in that great hope that is the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, that Christ has won the victory. And even though we may be fighting the battle, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.